Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Hi everyone, it's good to be here. Uh, I want to start with a video that I really enjoyed. Um, There's a girl in the Randberg worship team who uh, sent us this video on the band group. Some of you will know it in the worship team. Her aunt is a teacher in the Free State, and there's a they had like a almost like a department kind of day where they they met together. And this is just a video from that day where a girl sings a song, and uh, then you can I'm not going to say anything else about it, but you can look for look out for a prominent man in the crowd, and uh, and just enjoy it. You can go for it, Philip. You can actually put the lights off. I prefer it like that. Is that all right? To keep the lights off. Very bright. I like atmosphere, cozy atmosphere. I think it's a bit more cozy like this. Mr. Ramaphosa doing his moves. Um, I don't know if anyone knows this song, Tumami Na. It's a song by Hugh Masakela. And I want to read to you the lyrics. Maybe you didn't catch it in the beginning. Um, but it says, I want to be there when the people start to turn it around, when they triumph over poverty. I want to be there when the people win the battle against AIDS. I want to lend a hand. I want to be there for the alcoholic. I want to be there for the drug addict. I want to be there for the victims of violence and abuse. I want to lend a hand. Then Tumamina, Tumamina, Isizweni, and Indizoya, so that means, send me. I will go to the nations and I will pray. That is the song <laughs> that these guys are singing. Um, what's amazing about this song, very prominent song of Hugh Masekela uh, from the, I think it's from the 80s, and a song that was enjoyed by a lot of groups. I won't go into politics, but... The, just, I, I'm just fascinated by it. And funnily enough, the beginning of last year, uh, Cyril Ramaphosa had his first parliament, and he ended with the lyrics of this song. His whole address ended with the lyrics of this song. Here I am, send me, I will go, and pray for the nations. And it just struck me when I saw this the other day, especially the video, and then to read a bit about the, what's happened in the past year in South Africa, a lot's happened. But um, not focusing too much on... Cyril as a man, tonight we're going to focus on a perfect 
person, and the only perfect person, and that's God himself. And uh, I just want to start, actually, well, I'll kind of touch on it through the message. My name's Andrew, by the way. There's some new people who don't know me. Uh, for the past year and a bit, I've been on staff at church. Uh, I've been the technically, or my role has been the worship pastor. Uh, I've been very involved in kind of financial side of things and then also uh, worship, so kind of leading the worship team. Uh, Jock kind of alluded to it a little bit, but uh, in our, so I've been working in coffee for about 10 years almost in the coffee industry, and before that, for about six years, me and a few friends, Badenay knows the story, we dreamt about this, what are we going to do? And then 10 years of actually doing something. We set up a coffee roastery in Stellenbosch. Uh, it's still going. But in the past year or so, things changed a lot, and we had to course correct, and quite a lot of changes meant that I had to actually decide what am I going to do. And, um, and I've been working full-time at church, but I've been doing, because Sunday is a work day for me, which maybe some of you don't know, um, makes sense though, hey? Uh, so Mondays, or my, either Mondays or Fridays is usually an off day. I've been taking Fridays as my off day. But at a stage, I was doing Mondays off day, and then I would use for coffee. So I'd work in the coffee industry on Mondays, five days for church. And um, so I've been continually involved. But one of our suppliers, or one of the coffee roastery suppliers, I actually went and spoke to her about changes at our coffee roastery and stuff. And she, she offered me a job about three or four months ago. Uh, it was very interesting. It was very left field, and I wasn't expecting it. Um, it's a supplier of coffee beans, and these guys actually work with exporters in producing countries. They buy directly from farmers, from co-ops around the world. Big business in Kaya Sands in Joburg. Uh, and so that kind of threw me a bit, and I thought about it and prayed about it for a few months, and we were backwards and forwards discussing it. But um, in the end... Uh, Cara, my wife and I, we chatted about it a lot, prayed about it a lot, and we really felt this is, this is God opening a door. It's an area of coffee I've wanted to be more and more involved in through the lifetime of Legado, which is our coffee company. Back Further back in the supply chain, being more hands-on with where the, where the coffee's coming from, um, we've always really been uh, focused on tr transparency in the supply chain, kind of seeing back towards the producer, many times you don't know, you have no idea where your, I can tell you now most of you don't know where your coffee's coming from probably, um, but it's a very good, and it, uh, that's the, the, the bottom line is the change actually starts with the coffee drinkers uh, to actually start demanding change. It's happening in so many industries around the world, I mean just think of more healthy products, more healthy food, uh, less preservatives, I mean there's movements like this, but for me it's not about the personal health, you know, for all benefits that I can get, it's actually more the people <laughs> at the bottom of the supply chain that are getting a bad deal. Um, many times, coffee industry, there's, a, there's unfortunately still hundreds of years into the industry, many, lots of exploitation happening on the ground and at source. Um, just to shock you guys a bit, one of the biggest coffee companies in the world a year ago actually were forced to publish that they found slavery in their supply chain. And it just shows that there's so much layers of, of trade happening in the supply chain that they didn't even know that there was slavery actually still happening. And it's a very prominent coffee company. Um, so there's a lot happening there. And it's always been my heart, and my heart's always really been in that area. And we'll touch on it a bit tonight, the call of Isaiah. But we're going to end pretty much, I'll tell you now the ending. We're going to speak a bit about a vision of God but then also Isaiah's call and really understanding God's call in your life and making work of it. Because sometimes, you know, it doesn't just happen and roll out and you can do everything that God's called you to do. A lot of the times you know it. A lot of you know it that you have to put time in. You have to really invest into that sometimes. If you feel God is calling you to a specific space to do specific things, it takes time. It actually could take a long time. But I think it's so important that we commit to what God's calling us to and really obey him in that. Um, yeah, so that's a bit of my story. You're welcome to come and ask me about it. What it means for me is uh, we're not, you know, we're involved in Randburg Church mostly. Um, 
we're not going anywhere. Not like we're staying in Joburg, we're staying in Randburg Church, we're involved. Uh, we're gonna, I'm not going to be officially a pastor anymore. I'll be a deacon. We'll move over to being deacons in the church. And, um, and I'm excited about it. I've been in Shofar for about 17 years. Uh, I've been involved in worship that whole time and also had the privilege of, of leading every now and again in some teams. Ministry, it happens. And I mean, Henny, uh, the senior pastor, speaks a lot about every member is a minister. And it's, so re- it's true, you know, and going back to being a member, I'm going to try and be the best member minister that I can be. And I challenge all of you guys to do the same, because that's what we are. We're not a church that's got this hierarchy that, you know, the, ch- the pastors do everything. Uh, we, we do the ministry, and I do want to commend you guys. You guys do it very well here in Santon. You guys are hands-on, and it's awesome to see. And, uh, but we do church. We do church together. We are, we are the church. And uh, it's always been a challenge to, to kind of get transformed in that thinking. But, uh, but that's, that's pretty much that. Um, Isaiah 6. This is quite a scripture. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll launch in. Father, we just thank you tonight for your presence in our midst. We thank you, Lord, that we can know you. Tonight we want to ask you, to take us deeper into who you are. God, we come tonight, Lord, with with open books. (laughs) We come tonight, God, just looking to you, looking to you, Father. We bring you our hearts, bring you our minds especially, God, and we ask you that you come and reveal yourself. We love you. You are the reason we are here tonight on a cold night. Some of us drove far to get here, Lord, and our desire is to meet with you. That's our desire. That's why we're here. So I pray tonight, God, come and speak powerfully through your word and help us to understand it a bit better. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's read Isaiah 6 together. Isaiah's vision of the Lord. Isaiah 6 verse 1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a th- up upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And then he said, Go and say to this people, This is where it gets strange. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of these people dull and their eyes heavy and and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And I said, how long, O Lord? Obviously, I would ask the same. And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it's felled, the holy seed is its stump. There's a lot in the scripture. I just want to speak a bit about Isaiah 
Um, I've, I, don't know, I don't know if you know yet, if you're still new to Shofar, but Shofar is a ram's horn. You guys have done Ignite, have heard it afresh. But uh, Shofar is a movement, has really felt God kind of call us in, in the area of prophetic, in the area of being a prophetic voice uh, to the world around us. And so in my heart, I'm just at the moment very, like, kind of intrigued by that and trying to understand it biblically from the Word. Uh, trying to, I'm reading some books, but I'm also really trying to read the Word and get, get my definitions out of the Word rather than from someone who tells me what, what, what prophetic is. Um, and here's a great example, a man, Isaiah. And he, he was apparently a scribe in the king's courts before he became a prophet, uh, so he actually worked, his job was to work in the, in the king's courts, and then he was called as a, as a prophet here in Isaiah 6. They say the, the timeline of this is actually, I mean, Isaiah 6 is actually the first, you know, chronologically, it's actually the first book, or it's the first moment before Isaiah even kicks off, because his ministry only kicked off out of that experience with God. He, his name actually means God is salvation, which is really cool. It's a great name. And he lived about in the, well, around about the years seven, 740 before Christ. He was also well acquainted with Amos, the prophet. Uh, Amos's ministry was about 25 years before Isaiah's ministry. And a lot of scholars kind of think maybe they, they learned, or Isaiah learned a lot from, from Amos. But if you actually read Amos and you read Isaiah, you'll see some parallels between the two of them and what they speak about. What, what's driving the, driving, driving the message. Um, this is very interesting. So, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, are six, is about 66 chapters, and 39 chapters are, are judgment. Uh, 39 chapters of judgment, and 27 chapters of comfort and hope. And the book of Isaiah is actually broken up into those three sections. The first section being judgment, the second section being comfort, and then ending with hope. And uh, very interesting. And also the word salvation. The word salvation is actually mentioned in Isaiah 26 times through the book. Now, maybe 26 doesn't sound like a lot, but uh, it, it's, the word salvation is only mentioned seven times in all the rest of the prophets in the word. So Isaiah really... <laughs> He lived out his name too. Uh, God is salvation. Now, coming to the scripture, King Uzziah, who is mentioned in the first few line or first line in the year that King Uzziah died, King Uzziah actually reigned for fifty-two years. He was reigning for a long time. He actually reigned from when he was very young. Um, he he co-reigned with his dad actually for a long time, and uh, from when he was very young. And he reigned for 52 years. He had mostly a godly reign. In the last few years of his life, he actually tried to take over some of the high priest's duties. And, uh, and he actually got leprosy and passed away from leprosy. Isaiah, well, that's, okay, so Isaiah saw, what's, what's amazing about the scripture is it starts with this, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up upon a throne. So Isaiah, in the year that King Uzziah died, saw the king of kings. He saw the Lord of lords. He saw the one that is permanent, the one that is sitting on a throne <laughs> even today. He saw the king. He saw the king. He's the one who reigns eternal, above, over and above all monarchs. And he outlasts them all. I don't know if you knew this, bit of a sum that you can make, but in world leadership, the turnover in world leadership is 100%. Because they all pass away. And then the next leader comes, if that makes sense. <laughs> so the turnover in world leadership is 100%. But God, there's no change. God is the leader forever, from forever, who was and is and is to come. He's the king. And he sits on the throne. So world leaders come and go. Presidents come and go. Monarchs come and go. 
But God sits on the throne. He's forever. It's said that in this experience of Isaiah, it could have served as an assurance in a time of transition. So there was a transition between monarchies, and Isaiah saw the king high and, high, high and lifted up, God the king. And in many ways, I think and I believe that a, a vision of God and who he is, and a vision of God like this, where he's high and lifted up and he's holy, can actually help us in times of transition, help us in times where we're actually moving from one season to, to the next, or, or we're in a difficult time and we're hoping to transition out. Getting this vision of God and how big he is actually gives us what we need to get through, uh, through that. So sometimes we need this assurance that God is on his throne and God is in control. What's very interesting, I don't know if you knew this, but um, this scripture is actually cited in the New Testament in John 12, verse 41. It's a very interesting little portion of scripture in John 12. But John 12, verse 41 says, Isaiah was referring to Jesus when he said this. So what he said there, because he saw the future and spoke of the Messiah's glory. So it actually says in the New Testament that who he saw on the throne was Jesus. He saw the king on the throne. That's really cool. I'll get my notes in order here. Very interesting. Not much is known about the seraphim, the angels. It's actually the only time in Scripture that they are mentioned by that name, the seraphim. Now, there's some kind of talk around, aren't they the same as the living creatures in Revelation 4? They seem very similar. We'll read that scripture just now. But there's not much known about them, except for, well, one thing that they know is that the name seraphim actually means to burn, so to be on fire. There's actually a scripture also in the New Testament where it says, and to make his members a flame of fire, and the, the word is actually seraphim again, but it's speaking more about us. Uh, actually being on fire for God. It's really cool. What's interesting about these angels, though, is as they fly around the throne of God, they, they've got six wings. They're covering their eyes with, with, or their faces with two wings. They're covering their feet with two wings, and then they're flying with two wings. And uh, it's, it's fascinating because they didn't, there's no sin in them. They, they did not fall. You know, they, they don't have a sinful nature, but yet they still cover their faces when they're flying around the throne of God, when they're flying around this, this enormous God and this God that they just cannot help but respond, holy, holy, holy. Incredible. Um, and then their feet, too. It's kind of like just speaking about what's dirty on us. Um, I mentioned the other day... I shared this sermon in Rondobosch, and I said, I don't know if anyone knows that Christian comedian, John Christ. Anyone know him? If you don't know him, please go check him out. He's very funny. He actually, I checked him out. He tours with Trevor Noah and all the mainstream comedians, but he's a clean Christian comedian, very funny. He, he's, 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 he's pretty good. He had a, a joke, one of his stand-up comedies, where he spoke about, like, why couples wash each other's feet at the wedding, you know, why, you know, he says, okay, cool, you know, she has nice feet, but, but him, you know, then he describes the whole process of cleaning his feet, and I was like, you know, he wants to, yeah, <laughs> but our feet, well, at least for us men, our feet aren't always the cleanest part of our body, so the angels cover their feet, the angels cover their faces, and they fly, and um, what's amazing is, I've always thought of the scripture. I love coming back to the scripture because for me it's a foundation of worship. It really is. And uh, they're flying around God and their response as they see God is holy, holy, holy. It's a response. They look, they're seeing God. And I've always thought like, isn't it when they're actually flying around God that they're just seeing different angles of him and they're just going holy, 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 and they just keep flying, and that's their response, and they're seeing, like, and they're calling out to each other, so they're also, like, just kind of going, wow, look at this, it's incredible, and um, 
but what is amazing about this is the foundations shake. So these guys are big. They are big. The voices of these guys make the foundations shake of this temple that, that they are in. Holy is repeated three times. In Scripture, uh, it's actually like a little principle, but if something's repeated twice, which it happens most of the time, um, or when they want to bring across emphasis, truly, truly, Jesus says, um, then it's really emphasis. So the next thing I'm going to say is very important. Now, what's very interesting is this scripture and Revelation 4, where it's holy, holy, holy three times, it's the only time that there's three words, three of the same words next to each other. So really emphasizing this, that God is holy. And um, something that I wanted to just, well, I just kind of added in here. Um, for me, I'm wondering if it's not actually a beholding of the Trinity. So Holy Father, Holy Jesus, and Holy Spirit. And I think it's actually powerful because many times, many times we kind of think maybe God is holy, you know, Father, He's holy, but Jesus, He's like us. And, and I think sometimes we actually have to be careful there because Jesus is also holy. And Spirit, the Holy Spirit, He's holy. It's incredible, and we're going to speak about holiness now because straight away you drop the word holiness and everyone has an idea of it. We will speak about it now. I love this from, uh, from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis. I don't know if anyone's a fan, but uh, I do like the Chronicles of Narnia. So it says, when Mr. Beaver tells Susan that Aslan, the ruler of Narnia, is a great lion, Susan is actually surprised since she assumed that Aslan would be a man. She then tells Mr. Beaver, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And she asks Mr. Beaver if Aslan is safe. To which Mr. Beaver replies, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, he says. Many times I think, just... For me, God, to, to make him more approachable, and we don't have to make him more approachable, we'll speak about that just now. To make him more approachable, our vision of God sometimes gets closer to home and becomes more like something we could really approach, you know? And even Jesus in the Gospels, we, it's great that we, we feel close to him because God is here with us. But you jump ahead to Jesus in the book of Revelation, and it's a totally different story again. Jesus is holy. He's holy. And if you read, uh, you read the Gospels with that lens, you'll see something different about him. So I really love that idea, because I can tell you now something um, I've actually heard recently, which really gave me a bit of a shock, was that there's actually teachings out there that say that God the Father is, is the holy one, and he's the angry one, and the one that, you know, demands vengeance, and, and uh, Jesus is on our side, and he's going to back us up, and, you know, he'll, he'll speak for us, and, and, uh, and I just want to say that that's completely false, that there's no rift between them. <laughs> God is one in perfect unity, perfect unity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, there is nothing between them. They love each other. They are passionate about each other. They want to see each other's glory just, just grow and manifest. Uh, they, yeah, they are so close. And I think it's so important for us to know God is holy. God is one and he's holy. Revelation 4 verse 8, very similar. It says, each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out, Day after day, night after night, they kept on saying, and that's already amazing. <laughs> day after day, night after night, they kept on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was, who is, and who is still to come. That's amazing. 
I was just thinking, when we were singing the hymn, Holy, 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 we sing it because there's words. There's words up there telling us to sing it. But one day, we're going to physically stand, physically, in the presence of God. And it's not going to be words on a projector that tells us to sing. We're going to sing because we're going to respond to what we see. And, wow, what a day that's going to be. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God is holy. He's the epitome of purity. And he's set apart. The root meaning of the word holy is to be separate. I um, <clears throat> I enjoyed, there's a, a sermon online by a pastor, John Piper, from the, from the U.S., <clears throat> where he preached actually at a passion conference in 2003. Now, I remember that year. It was, uh, I was in Stellenbosch and Shofar, and the passion CD just came out, and we were just, it was amazing. <laughs> it was a... What was the one song? Oh, Praise Him was one of the songs in there. And it's uh, all the great artists that I really love and admire um, had songs there. But John Piper preached a sermon about Isaiah 6. And he said that forever we've been struggling to define holy, the word holy. And he says the reason why we struggle to define it is because of what it actually, what it actually means. It means to be separate. It actually means to be in another category altogether. Now, God is in another category. There's an infinite qualitative difference between the creator and the creation. God is one of a kind. That's why we can say there is no one. There is no one like you. It's not... Separating them out amongst other things or other people or other gods. It's not saying you are the best amongst all of these. There is no one like God. There's no one like him. And that is what makes him holy. He is separate. He is in a category on his own. And that's just mind-blowing. He's utterly holy. But John Piper says, Actually, in the end, all you're saying is that God is God. And you can't really say more than that. But we can speak a bit, unpack what does that holiness mean for us. But there's a few scriptures that kind of just touch a bit on this holiness. Uh, in 1 Samuel 2 verse 2, it says, There is none holy like the Lord. In a way, I feel a bit relieved <laughs> when I read that. It's like, okay, well, I'm definitely not holy. So, okay. There's none holy like the Lord. There is none besides thee. There's none. He's in a category on his own. Isaiah 40 verse 25 says, To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Now Isaiah loved the, the title of God, the Holy One. It was his favorite title to call God and read through the book of Isaiah and you'll just see it over and over again. In Hosea 11 verse 9, it says, I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst. I love that, in your midst. In the end, God is holy. In the end, God is holy in that He is God and not man. That is almost like the epitome of what it means for God to be holy. It's that He is God, He is not man. Stuff that comes out of his holiness is that he's, well, he's absolutely unique. We spoke about that now. He's incomparable, especially in moral perfection. He is incomparable in moral perfection. He's rare, he's permanent, and I love this about him is he's accessible. He's accessible. Um, I thought of, or the other day with my children, my children are two and four. We watched A Bug's Life. I don't know if you guys remember that. Uh, maybe some of you were two and four when it came out. Huh? Maybe. I was a bit older. Um, 
But there's a scene where this bug is flying towards the light. And his friend goes, stay away from the light. And then he says, but it's so beautiful. And he flies into the light and then gets zapped. And he's gone. And uh, <laughs> sometimes I think, well, we're going to speak now about the beauty of his holiness. We are actually attracted <laughs> to the beauty of God's holiness. It is attractive. It's majestic. It's incredible. And it draws us in. The beauty of his holiness. Psalms 96 verse 9 actually says, Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. And in another translation it says, Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. I would love to see more songs written about the beauty of his holiness. Interesting, I don't know if you knew this, it makes sense though, that the glory of God, a lot, we speak a lot about the glory of God and let your glory come. The glory of God is the manifestation of his holiness. It's the radiance of his holiness. It's what it is. God's holiness is the incomparable perfection of his divine nature. And his glory is the display of that holiness. When we say God is glorious, we're actually saying God's holiness has gone public. His glory is the open revelation of the secret of his holiness. Another um, thing that they touch on in Isaiah 6 is uh, God Almighty, or the, the God of the angel armies, as some of the translations say. It's very interesting because King Uzziah was very impressive. He had a very impressive military. He actually had kind of far advanced technology uh, for his time and for his army against other armies in the world. He had a very good army. Uh, and I just love it again. It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And as I said, it says, the Lord, the, the Lord of hosts or God of the angel armies. God's army is huge. <laughs> And God's army is incredible, and, uh, and he is the ruler of that army. Um, just moving on with the scripture. Oh, also, it says the whole earth is full of his glory. Now, like in history in the world, I love history, um, there have been many empires. So the British Empire, the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, Byzantine Empire, uh, the Dutch, you know, they colonized many people all over the place. Lots of coffee places, actually. Um, but how amazing, again, it says the whole earth is full of his glory. God's kingdom spans the whole earth. It's bigger than any empire that has ever been. And God is higher and bigger than any king that has ever been. Love that. In Psalm 72, it says, praise, the glorious, play, praise his glorious name forever. We sang that tonight. Let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Now, moving on in the scripture, it's just interesting to see that before Isaiah starts being a channel to give out the message of God's judgment and to pronounce woes on anyone else, he pronounces a woe himself. He starts there. He says, woe is me. In the light of this holiness, in the light of this glory, woe is me. We are all, we are all filthy in the presence of a holy God. We can't get away from that. God's holiness actually humbles us. He says he's a man of unclean lips. Now I think that alludes to what Jesus says in Matthew 15. He says, but the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. And he's speaking about what defiles you. Is it what you eat or drink? Stuff that goes in your mouth. And Jesus says, no. It's what comes out of your mouth. And it comes from the heart. That's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. It comes from our hearts. So it's actually bo it's born in our hearts and then it comes out. I'm a man of unclean lips. 
I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I think many times, if we think about the holiness of God, that's where we kind of end, <laughs> in a way. I, th- I think sometimes we go, yeah, I know, I'm a worm, you know, I'm nothing, uh, God is huge, you know, but I think we've lost, or we can easily lose something in the midst of that. God isn't going to change. God is God. God is sitting on his throne. He is, he was, he is, and he is to come. And I really feel, if we're going to end with a, with a, like a little quote about revival, but I have, a, I have a desire to see God for who he is, to see God as he is. I don't want someone else to tell me stuff about God. You know, yes, we, obviously it happens, but I want to, you know, Scripture is very important here, I think, in, in really just formulating our vision of God. Now the seraphim come to him. I love this part. A bit of Brian going on. He comes, and the burning one comes with the burning coal up to Isaiah. And he touches the coal on his lips. And how incredible is this? He says after that, your guilt is taken away. Taken away. And your sin is atoned for. Another translation says purged. Purged is like, I love that English word because it's like a thorough cleansing (laughs) of dirt. Purged is such a strong word. It's like, you know, you can think of the strongest soap. Some of you people who love cleaning and love to keep things clean. Um, Purged. You're purged. But how is this possible? I mean, how does this make sense in like what we know of the full canon of Scripture? What's very interesting is he takes this coal from the altar of God. Now, it's kind of speaking about this, the tent of Moses, so the layout of the progression going into the holy place. And the altar is actually where they burnt the sacrifice uh, to take the blood and to sprinkle it in the most holy place. So if you think about it, the sacrifice was, was cooked on this altar, and the blood of that sacrifice dripped on the coals. So when the angel took the coal, it was covered in the blood of the sacrifice, and he touched the lips of Isaiah, and he said, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. He was pointing forward towards an ultimate sacrifice that would take our guilt away and atone for our sin and purge us, the sacrifice that Jesus made. It's incredible. In Isaiah 57, verse 15, I love this. It says, The high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one, says this, I live in a high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and I revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. This is God. He made a way for us. This portion of scripture ends with, who will go for us? Now all of this has just happened. Isaiah's seen God, and um, the way some people kind of try and explain it is how big the scene was, but that probably the one leg of his throne would taken up this whole room, you know, just to try and kind of give you, when I loved Henny's, I was actually here last week when Henny preached on uh, Psalm 8, but also just magnificent, like (laughs) just how big God is. So Isaiah saw God, he, in seeing God, his response in seeing God was, woe is me. And uh, the angel comes, touches his his mouth of the coal, purges him. And then 
right after that, out of that experience, God says, who will go for us? Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then straight away, Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And uh, what's interesting about this is that a lot of the prophets and people that God called in the Old Testament didn't have this response. <laughs> a lot of them uh, had a bit of a wrestle with God. A lot of them said, I'm too young, I can't speak, um, you know, or negotiated, and then eventually uh, went or followed God. But Isaiah is so eager. <laughs> he, he sees this vision of God. He, he experiences redemption. And straight away, as soon as God makes the call, who will go for me? He says, I'll go. And now what's very interesting is he hasn't even got his job spec yet. He doesn't know what he's going to go do. <laughs> so he's already willing to go, whatever it is. And then he gets this really, really strange commission. A commission that, for me, only makes sense in the context of Scripture, in this Scripture. A commission that's very much about the kingdom of Judah that he was serving, or kind of being a prophet to. The kingdom of Judah that was far away from God, that had no interest in knowing God, even though they practiced lots of religious things. You can read Isaiah 1, speaks a lot about just like their festivals, and, and even Isaiah 58, I love Isaiah 58, and it starts with, you know, people fasting and, and so committed to God. But, uh, but Isaiah was, was called to close minds and close eyes and close hearts. Very strange. What I take out of it for myself is that, number one, I think it's important for all of us to have a vision of God that is, that is bigger than what you have now, in a way, I almost want to say, because He's big. He's big. And I think sometimes we try and kind of end the search, in a way. We try and uh, package it. I think we do that nowadays. In, in our world, we want to package everything. So we want to package God and say, you know, God is like this, or He's this, you know, this is God. He can never be packaged because he's in a different category and he's big. Um, so what I take from this is he calls us and I go and I say, I will go, send me. And then he gives us our assignments. Now, for me, in the last couple of months, I've been thinking a lot about this around calling. What is God calling me to do? Um, I'm not that old. I'm turning 37 this year, but as time goes on, you think more and more about what is God calling me to do? What is the job he's got for me? Um, what does he want me to accomplish for him? And I think it's, we have to do that. God is calling each one of us. I'm, I'm so inspired by guys, you know, there's a great example of a guy, William Wilberforce in the 1700s, who was very instrumental in unraveling the policies around the slave trade around the world. Maybe you didn't know, maybe you didn't know, but he actually fought it for 17 years. He went back year after year to Parliament, took his bill, stood there, gave his case, and the guys laughed at him, and they, you know, they just kept going. 17 years, but he felt called, and it wasn't very easy for him. He actually, I don't know if you've seen the story, Amazing Grace, uh, the movie, it's a very good movie, but... Uh, Actually, later on, even though he was a Christian, even later on, he actually started turning to opium uh, to actually numb the pain of this burden <laughs> of this calling. And he actually had nightmares and of like slaves with, with uh, chains and uh, all kinds of stuff. Like kind of he couldn't shake this thing <laughs> that God was calling him to do. And um, well, actually great testimony about a young lady that came into his life and he got married and uh, she challenged him and also encouraged him to keep going. And uh, great testimony by Ed and uh, Martinique. You know, we need our better halves, definitely. Um, but just incredible. And I know some of you are sitting here, and hopefully all of you, and God has been tugging at your hearts and speaking to you and working with you since you've got to know him, and maybe even before that, because he's got a plan, and he's, he's got a master plan. <laughs> he's God. He's in control of this world. And he knows what's going to happen next, and he, he's in control. 
but he's speaking to you about specific areas and specific things that he wants you to put your hand on and kind of be involved in. And I want to say that sometimes you have to, have to actually make work of it, as I said earlier. You actually have to invest time into growing in those areas and upskilling in those areas and, and becoming better at communication maybe in, in those areas. Um, yeah, so God is calling us. God is calling us, but I think it's so important to start with a vision of God. Who is God? What do we see? What do we think when we think of God? He's holy. He's holy, but he's approachable. And he's made a way for us. But he, he doesn't change the fact that he's holy. Let's all stand together. So for Isaiah, the vision of God was so truly unforgettable that it was enough motivation for him to get into his office and to go for it <laughs> and to do what God has called him to do. Now, I love this about revival. A, a quote that says, Revival happens when we see God majestic in holiness. Revival happens when we see God majestic in holiness. And when we see ourselves, the reality, as disobedient dust, brokenness, repentance, and unspeakable joy of forgiveness, a taste for the magnificence of God, a hunger for His holiness, to see more and to live it more, that's revival. And it comes from seeing God. So my heart's cry for not just me, but for all of us is to see God more clearly. Let's just close our eyes. Yes, Father, we just come to you tonight, Holy One. We come to you and we ask you, Lord, right now, some of us, God, we feel like there's a, there's a limit <laughs> when we look at you. There's a ceiling when we look at you. And God, tonight we ask you to come and to heal our eyes. Lord, we think of Revelation where it speaks of the self to heal the eyes, God. And tonight, God, we ask you that you heal our eyes to see you as you are. Father, we want to see you as you are. We want to see you as you are, God. God, we don't want second-hand revelation, God. We want to see you. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.